These ashes were once the tree at the center of the world. The roots holding together the mountains, the branches upholding the sky. Then These ashes were once surrounded the in the center of the God world. who hung from the this roots tree holding together the mountains, the branches upholding the sky. Fire. These ashes were once Fire. the tree at the center of the Fire. world. Greetings, friends. I'm Arnold Schroeder, and this is Fight Like an Animal, a podcast of the World Tree Center for Survival and Evolution, or the World Tree Center for Evolutionary Politics and Global Survival, or the Nine Worlds, One Tree Institute for Applied Survival Sciences or something. We'll have to figure out a name, but whatever it is, that's what this episode is about. And you can find episode bibliographies at againsttheinternet.com. There's not one in this case, but I will be reading a document briefly describing all of the different initiatives of this project that I am launching with this episode. Um, and so you can find that at againsttheinternet.com for this episode. And uh, if you want to support this work materially, please check out patreon.com slash biological singularity. But if you want to support this work in a far more directly participatory manner, please, friends, keep listening. Fire. This episode can certainly be listened to on its own, but to a significant extent, it's a successor to the Ashes of the World Tree episode that was just released. Uh, so if you feel like you want some broader context about the fundamental worldview that animates these projects I'm going to describe, go ahead and check that out if you haven't already. My mercilessly concise one-sentence summary would be that that episode was me attempting to describe how just as surely as perceptions of whether or not the ecological crisis is happening at all or any other political issue are a matter of temperament more than they are purely rational deliberation or anything we might call scientific reasoning, so are people's perceptions who converge on the reality of the ecological crisis of what is possible to do at this stage of crisis. And that, I guess, is probably two sentences, right? Maybe even three. Uh, but, you know, that it would look very different to do a form of politics that was not an attempt to validate an extant worldview and that wasn't deeply affected by a sort of... Primary emotional reality of trauma response to averse stimulus or a need to tell ourselves a story that allows us to avoid a sense of tragic implications about the world trajectory, but rather to do a politics that was truly just based on and consisting of a rigorous systemic inquiry into what is in fact possible in the situation we find ourselves in. So the World Tree Center for Evolution and Survival or something like that um, is my attempt to initiate uh, a project meeting, you know, responding to and pursuant of the broad conception of 
global possibility that I tried to articulate in that episode. I think one of the things that distinguishes the kind of politics that I am trying to practice from those that I have been critiquing is that it should be pretty manifestly apparent to almost anybody that a number of radically distinct futures are possible and that we should be attempting to achieve a program of influencing our circumstances that would be meaningful and impactful across a wide range of different potential futures. And so the these projects all kind of have this quality where there's work of a very immediate variety that I think would have uh, useful impacts right here and now today, but that there is definitely some sense of there being an anticipation of a significant degree of collapse in the social systems we're inhabiting as a result of ecological collapse, if not from some other factors first. And these being means by which we could potentially intervene in the conjoined social and ecological trajectories as the traditional forms of power, uh, the extant forms of power that are being exercised in the society become unstable because of the crises they have engendered. Uh, you know, Hannah Ardent said that the Bolsheviks found power lying around on the street and picked it up or something like that. I think to a significant extent, I agree with that assessment, but I think that there was a bunch of things that they did that allowed them to pick up power off the street at the expense of all the other people who were trying to do precisely that. But that, you know, a wide range of the utility of these uh, you know, the possible utilities of these projects comes uh, from the assumption that perhaps there's going to be further destabilizations of the system, what with, you know, the global ecosystem <laughs> rapidly plummeting into chaos. Um, yeah, so I'll go ahead and read from this document describing what I guess are going to be, we could maybe say that there's five initial initiatives, maybe six Um so there's, you know, the, the one sentence kind of summary, the World Tree Center is a set of parallel institutions for ecological governance in a think tank dedicated to searching for paths to survival for life on Earth. The first of these initiatives is the only one that actually has a name that has been decided on and has its first kind of real manifestation. The first project of this initiative is going to be released into the world within days of this episode as both a podcast and as a video on YouTube. It will be the first publication of the World Tree Center YouTube channel. It seems like by the time I'm done with this episode, I will have just decided this thing is called the World Tree Center. Uh, so we're calling it the Embodied Political Cognition Collective, um, formerly the Transformation of Temperament and Worldview Working Group. And uh, the description I wrote of it is, nothing remains to be said about the ecological crisis other than that individuals are massively variable in their responsiveness to it. It's abundantly clear to even a casual observer that the widely divergent worldviews present in contemporary populations reflect underlying temperaments, but temperament is rarely addressed as an intrinsic dimension of politics. A wealth of research exists on the many variables which correlate with political perspectives, but very little on how transformations of worldviews occur. 
The Embodied Political Cognition Collective will attempt to produce a systemic understanding of how people undergo the transformation in their embodied states of being necessary to comprehend and respond to our converging crises. This will be an iterative process consisting roughly speaking, of three phases. First is a period of literature review, broad hypothesis formation, and narrative collection. And some of these narratives will be presented on a new podcast. So, you know, continuing work initially broadly described in Fight Like an Animal. And this podcast is called Metanoia, How Worldviews Change. Metanoia is defined as a change in one's way of life resulting from penitence or spiritual conversion. And in it, we will collect descriptions of people's journey to an ecologically responsive worldview from a wide range of initial starting points, as well as discuss and attempt to theoretically integrate what we're hearing as we go. Second is a period of explicit hypothesis formation, research design, and further data collection for that research. And then third will be a period in which we attempt to apply protocols we have developed in the course of our research to, for instance, group processes, media, gatherings, whatever else emerges from our work. So in other words, if the second stage is an attempt to formulate hypotheses and test them through formal research projects about how to affect people's perceptions. The third stage will be an attempt to actually apply these, you know, ostensible methods and attempt to affect people's perceptions. Okay, the second of these initiatives for the time being, I've just been calling the meta group. What I said about it is, a broad segment of humanity is acutely aware of our profound peril, but political engagement and ecological collapse is confined to a much narrower, psychologically distinct subset of these individuals. This has become arguably the most fundamental barrier to meaningful political engagement. People stay home because they, correctly, anticipate a meaningless spiral of internal critique and decisions and behaviors which reflect specialized worldviews and niche reasoning far more than they do strategic deliberation. The meta group will attempt to overcome this barrier by constructing prompts and frames for group engagement that are far more psychologically selective and likely to generate legitimate cohesion than the exceptionally broad frames such as fighting climate change, whereby groups are typically constituted. We will begin by assessing the value of the podcast's Fight Like an Animal and its transformative narrative spinoff, Metanoia, as psychological filters engaging a distinct segment of the population. These podcasts, in addition to extent relationships, will be used to recruit people into World Tree Center. The hypothesis is that the listenership is motivated by empathy, but also tough-minded, willing to engage with biological explanations of human behavior and interact with technical subjects. We will also apply an application process involving a number of extant psychometrics as well as some that are unique to World Tree. Therefore, we will refine our assumptions as we go, collecting data about what kinds of people turn out to get along in what ways and to fill what kinds of roles. Now, I've been talking more with my collaborator about what it is that we think we are the, you know, the 
criterion, the singular overarching criterion that we think we're most concerned with in engaging people within any of these initiatives within this broad overall project. And we, you know, we've kind of consensed on this notion that what we're really looking for is the capacity to engage with complexity in assessing the state of the world and political possibilities and all that, right? That we are trying to find people who can engage in complexity rather than indulging psychological need in the conclusions that they come to about reality. Uh, so I said, this group will also begin to psychographically and otherwise segment various populations and develop targeted messaging about other World Tree initiatives. For instance, with respect to the Regional Resource Plan Initiative, which I'm about to describe, we might ask, how can we make an appeal to participation in this project framed in terms of the Jeffersonian human farmer conception of American democracy? In broad terms, we will attempt to deconstruct the narratives that unite distinct segments of the population, formulate hypotheses about these subpopulations' psychologies and their fundamental frames of reference, and target messaging to those psychologies and within those frames. Now, as we gain momentum, we may also provide consultations with other groups, both about creating cohesion within the groups themselves and targeting, you know, campaign messages and whatnot to other people. So for long-term listeners of the podcast, that may sound awfully familiar as what I attempted to do with the establishment of the scientific militant Discord server way back when, I think initially proposed in the episodes Suburban Holy War and referenced to some extent in The World Got a Lot Like the Internet a little before that. Uh, you know, the effort that really didn't go anywhere, what with the cancer and the kidney failure and all. And so uh, anybody who I have been in touch with or was on that Discord server, anything like that, I'll uh, certainly be getting in touch with to see about coming on to the new uh, non-Discord online collaborative workspace that we've set up for these projects. Uh, the next initiative, in parenthetically non-coercive, uh, scientific world government. I thought I thought I'd choose a name with a nice polemical ring to it, something something to get some Fox News pundits a little upset, and therefore you know to generate the outraged denunciations that. Uh, actually ultimately generate political credibility. I said, it has become a climate cliche to say that every disaster movie starts with a scientist being ignored, but it is also worth noting that what happens next is that the scientist proceeds to do something other than continue talking to the people who aren't listening. This project will focus on initiating a process of interdisciplinary scientific deliberation on the relationship between the ecological crisis, political power, and science itself. This process of scientific deliberation would be dedicated to examining thresholds for declaring the strategy of issuing warnings to policymakers to have decisively failed, and the options for asserting a different political system capable of responsiveness. It would attempt to engender a scientific case for revolution. Because another scientific consensus statement that says scientists say the crisis is going to be really, really, really bad won't get any attention, but one that says scientists say that political revolution is necessary to avoid global collapse will. 
This process would examine how scientists could offer an alternative to extant forms of power as crisis intensifies and people search for institutions which exhibit competence current ones lack. Of course, for a cohort of scientists to identify one another who could meaningfully pursue any of these objectives, they would have to do so other than by some broad criterion such as shared endorsement of the disembodied abstractions by which the scientific process is typically defined. In other words, they would have to examine the psychological corollaries of their own beliefs about the ecological crisis and the power structure's unresponsiveness to it and those of divergent scientific theories. To that end, this would be a process of engaging with the psychological differences between scientists. Applying the methods whereby scientists study the psychology of belief systems in others to themselves. To that end, the first step in this project has been taken with the submission of a scientific paper identifying four broad domains of stalled scientific progress, the ecological crisis being one of them, where investigating the underlying psychology is likely to generate interesting results. So I'm rather proud of this paper. I submitted it to the Seeds of Science journal a little while ago, and they liked the first draft. We had an exchange where we talked about some revisions and they said not to worry terribly about the word limit. So I radically revised the paper and I have not heard back. I think that there might be some vacation involved or something like that. But I think that there's a very decent chance that it will be published and will be assigned, you know, a DOI and searchable in the literature. The publication process is for with Seeds of Science is supposed to be much, much more hasty than with most scientific journals. It's supposed to take about 60 days. So, you know, I think there is a real value in this case of trying to actually get some of these initial arguments that are being made into the scientific literature per se. So for the time being, I am going to refrain from publishing that on my website or anywhere else or the you know forthcoming World Tree website. And um, I will email it to people where it seems relevant, to people who are working on this. Uh, but I think there's at least one more paper involving, you know, the psychology of power and the psychology of science per se versus other academic disciplines, in particular academic disciplines, which tend to be paths to institutional power in societies, you know, in mass hierarchical societies, regardless of their ideological self-descriptions. And then it would be probably pretty worthwhile to consider beginning to publish papers somewhere in the literature by people who are actually like current participants in scientific institutions. And a whole bunch of other strategic considerations um, occur to me. You know, I think that the generation of consensus statements within various disciplines, ultimately interdisciplinary consensus statements, stuff like that would be really fascinating. Um, this is stuff I've talked about in 
in, for instance, uh, varieties of scientific revolution and myth science power. This notion that the idea of political organizing in general, like the models that are still being used in a lot of forms of organizing, assume far greater epistemic cohesion in the broader society than actually exists, but that that level of epistemic cohesion really does exist within science per se to some extent, and that this would be kind of like, uh, you know, how a lot of that, you know, political organizing is supposed to work, where there, there would certainly be a polemical quality. Some of these publications would probably be met with fervent criticism, and that fervent criticism would function to ultimately legitimize, you know, publicize and legitimize the positions that are being advanced. So that's that initiative. And then regional resource plans. This is certainly something I've discussed a number of times, but in particular in that episode, a model political program for ecological survival, which is also a text on againsttheinternet.com. And uh, this would be, I think, one of the first initiatives, uh, hopefully that the Meta group would apply some of its research to in terms of trying to identify distinct psychographic and demographic segments of the population in, you know, whatever uh, a given geographic unit we decided to make a resource plan for Portland, Oregon certainly occurs to me as a likely first step. Uh, you know, and think about how to present what we're doing in different terms to different kinds of people. I said about it, uh, because no existing resource planning for any polity at any scale comprises a comprehensive and ecologically plausible plan for meeting basic human needs. This project would generate such plans. These would also provide a natural basis for collective decision-making structures which could emerge at any time but seem particularly likely in time of crisis, for instance when food shortages begin, as a result of concurrent crop failures in major uh, food-producing regions of the world. These efforts would be based on existing resource planning documents and would begin with an inventory of population needs and its potential consumption based on a hierarchy of ascending resource availability assumptions. At a lowest tier would be, for instance, food, energy production sufficient to keep some medical and other vital equipment running, and other materials and processes necessary to literally facilitate survival. These plans would be spatially explicit and provide a basis for political interventions, allowing us to offer an alternative in conjunction with other World Tree initiatives to extant structures, something that is particularly likely to be sought by considerable numbers during crisis. Uh, so in addition to the the uh, Ashes of the World Tree episode and, you know, a model political program for ecological survival and some other episodes where I've touched on this. Something that I also uh, was talking with Daniel about in the, the last Fight Like an Animal episode, uh, social cohesion versus the internet versus the establishment versus the earth. Um, and uh, I think that I mentioned that uh, the food production potential on Portland's golf courses alone is quite significant. So, you know, this would be some effort to uh, produce some, you know, like spatially explicit, uh, you know, quantitatively explicit uh, food production plans, and then also some stuff like, you know, uh, 
the appropriation of industrial facilities sufficient to generate biofuels adequate to produce, you know, not the levels of power that we're consuming as part of a global consumer civilization, but, you know, levels of power sufficient to keep hospitals running, you know, like a, a radically constrained material flow and resource availability assumption, you know, rate, but enough to keep people alive, literally. Um, yeah, so that work is great fun. Depending on the kind of polity one lives in, there are or are not certain documents that can be used to provide a guide to doing, you know, essentially a real version, one that is actually congruent with the physical reality we inhabit of the kinds of climate plans that you know, exist in, for instance, most liberal cities, some states with uh, majority democratic legislatures and stuff like that, but which admittedly don't exist everywhere in the United States or anything like that. But uh, something something that I've worked on in the past um, and really enjoyed, and I, I think it, it would be great fun for people with a certain kind of uh, tech, you know, both a technical mind and and a love of of uh, generating media and documents and, you know, policy proposals that are sure to infuriate, horrify, and enrage certain segments of the population who it would be useful to infuriate, horrify, and enrage for disseminating and validating our uh, our message. So the last initiative that I've written about um, is just titled for the time being Greenhouse Gas Sequestration and Synthetic Biology. So certainly this is something I've talked about in quite a few episodes as well. What I wrote is, it is likely that greenhouse gas flux out of the atmosphere needs to be hastened in order for most complex life to survive. A large number of promising means of achieving this hastening exist, but they are being utterly neglected by investors and governments in favor of projects which show very little substantial promise, such as facilities devoted to mechanical direct air capture of CO2. This project would research promising approaches, generate media about them to dissuade people from the notion that geoengineering is a monolithic category that can simply be disregarded, and with sufficient resources begin to do research and demonstration projects for some methods that seem particularly likely to be impactful. The initial subset of approaches we would investigate are genetic engineering and ecological manipulations related to methanotrophic bacteria, enhanced weathering, increased photosynthetic efficiency, desalination and transport of water to low-vegetation terrestrial landscapes to generate significant new biomass, ocean fertilization, both through direct seeding and through assisted upwelling in regions where nutrients are currently sequestered on the ocean floor, and yeah, and that's it. Uh, but I wrote enhanced weathering twice. I guess because whatever, it doesn't matter. At one point, I tried to initiate a project like that, and that was another case where people showed up, and it seemed like it really had some promise, and then I got too sick. Anyway, this project would also generally attempt to participate in synthetic biology's role in transforming human ecology to a post-resource extraction regime and play a role in directing sociopolitical outcomes from the profound egalitarian potential of generating decentralized, non-monopolizable abundance. So yeah, I have become 
a real synthetic biology fanatic in recent months and years. And I will do an episode sooner rather than later, probably really pretty soon, um, about the potential that I see there. It's, I think, just utterly fascinating. I came to it through reading literature, but, you know, at some point realizing the significance of what I was reading, I kind of thought, okay, people must be writing books of insane hype about how this is going to completely change everything. And they are. I've read a few. The one that I would probably recommend above all others is uh, The Genesis Machine. But yeah, I will also be producing some media about that pretty soon. And so, you know, this, as with a bunch of these projects, we can see two very different tiers of possibility depending on whether or not we get any resources. Um, you know, so at a low, uh, a low involvement and essentially no budget level, we could produce some papers and some other media that I think would be really useful. And then, you know, at a, a much higher level of resources, uh, we could do some of this research. So the last thing that I would mention, even though it's not in this document, as the days of, you know, planning and work on this project have gone by, I've begun to realize that there probably is a sixth initiative that just deserves to be its own uh, distinct structure that I initially was imagining yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why I was thinking that. I was initially thinking it would just be part of the meta group, which is uh, we are going to have a real need for just kind of like a media production entity that is taking all of the different research findings and the kind of like psychographic conclusions, you know, the the targeted messaging findings of the meta group and generating media that is directed to specific audiences to convey specific messages that we're conceiving of. And so I just kind of thought that would be like, oh, okay, well, you know, the meta group will like identify a population and something to say to them. And then they'll just make a YouTube video about it or whatever. But I, I increasingly realized that there's probably going to be that those are distinct enough tasks, you know, somebody might want to be involved in editing a bunch of video, but not necessarily reading a bunch of psych papers and having discussions about what was going to fundamentally appeal to different types of people who were, you know, hypothesizing the existence of from internet, you know, message boards and whatever. Um, so yeah, so I guess I guess that's initiative number six is you know a media group. These ashes were once the tree at the center of the world. The roots holding together the mountains, the branches upholding the sky. Okay, so here is, very roughly speaking, the plan. Here, here's how all this is going to work. Um, I would encourage, well, first of all, let me say that I have been actually combing through the deep, the depths of my neglected email and actually getting back to all the people who wrote me something substantial that I really did intend to respond to that I happened to receive while I was just in too much medical crisis to do so, whether that was before or after my transplant. 
So I'm, you know, in the process of catching up on a bunch of email, and there are certainly a bunch of people who I have had correspondences with who I would like to invite into this process directly. So, you know, I will make a huge effort to do so, and I would just say if you're somebody who has had some, you know, form of correspondence with me in the past, please do just write to me if you want to be involved in this, um, you know, just... Don't don't at all hesitate because I don't reach out or anything like that is what I'm trying to say. And then likewise, I would just encourage all listeners at this point to send me emails with their thoughts and indicating any interest in any of these projects or all of them or, you know, of course, there's going to be some need for uh, just sort of like general you know, some coordinating roles, right? Just some like administration, logistics, infrastructure, that kind of thing. The general theory is that we will release for each initiative. We will develop kind of a skeleton crew at the outset and release some form of media or something, whether that's a distinct project from Fight Like an Animal or whether it's a Fight Like an Animal episode where it's the project is described in some detail and we have prepared at least some kind of like initial specimen of the sort of work we're going to be doing. And that would be the point at which we were kind of formally soliciting engagement in the project. And by the, so this will hopefully occur. It's late August right now. This will hopefully occur over the course of the next four months so that by the end of the year, every project will have been officially launched and will have had people in it. And that will have been the case for long enough. You know, maybe we'll say that hopefully that'll be done by mid-November or, you know, at the latest, the beginning of December. And then we could spend that last month of the year putting together some kind of, you know, overall, like a synthesis uh, presentation of the, the project overall that could be used, for instance, to present to potential funders and things like that. And so the only one of these projects for which we currently have that is uh, the uh, Embodied Political Cognition Collective. So like I said, Metanoia will be episode one will be released at the end of this week or something like that. Um, you know, so to, that's probably a meaningless statement from your perspective. But uh, before August is over, let's say, at which point, you know, we will have something sufficiently developed uh, to, you know, to kind of formally declare to the world, this is what this is, if you would like to participate. I mean, there's going to be other aspects of that project. Like I said, there's, you know, a scientific research element and a, you know, the, a, an intention to ultimately attempt to experiment with protocols for affecting people's perceptions in various ways. And, you know, trying to identify uh, all the salient variables, the material conditions, the, you know, narrative exposure, the relational, the social relational realities, the whole damn thing. 
Um, you know, but we'll have enough to say, here's what we're doing. Come join us if you want on, you know, on some level, it'll feel like a, a real project with some real momentum. And so I really am relying on the very fact of this podcast. I feel empowered to initiate this project and don't feel there are other times in my life where this would have felt like a ridiculous undertaking, but I feel from the correspondences that I've had that there really are a very significant number of people who would be absolutely perfect for engagement in this project, who I have the ability to communicate with right now. So I'm kind of operating under the assumption. I think it's a good initial working theory to at least test uh, that this podcast and Metanoia are you know, good psychological filters or frames for engaging the right kind of people to uh, to become part of this World Tree project. So I, I'm not really going to say it's like an actual application, I guess. I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe it'll turn out to be but uh but i would like to um i would like to ask people who are interested in participating in a significant way to fill out something that is very much like an application because we're going to use that as you know a means of con collecting our initial um our initial data set that we're going to use to kind of generate some hypotheses about the kinds of people who uh, work well with one another doing certain kinds of politics, right? And uh, so the the application will have, or whatever you want, the questionnaire, however you want to think about it, will have a number of questions that I have been coming up with on my own, but it will also have, um, you know, some just existing psychometrics that I think are pretty conceivably predictive of some of the tendencies that I have consistently observed in political organizing to, you know, be disruptive or to generate cohesion. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, it'll be essentially a chance for me and the meta group to uh, sort of like test and refine hypotheses about what generates group cohesion um, in groups dedicated to what kinds of political projects. And then, you know, fill out the questionnaire, um, put your data into, you know, some spreadsheets for the meta group's work, and uh, you'll get access to uh, an online collaborative workspace that, at least for the time being, we're going to use. And there's, you know, big to-do lists um, and, in some cases, documents with, you know, some work already being done for each of these, for each of these initiatives. And we can start having, I imagine that every one of these initiatives will, at least at the outset, have at a minimum a weekly Zoom call. It'd probably be what you'd be committing to if you wanted to, you could obviously participate in these groups without necessarily wielding much decision-making power, right? If you just wanted to help do work. But if you wanted to be able to influence decisions we made as a group, you'd probably be committing to a Zoom call a week, a week at least for a little while, right? Until we figure out what is a good working style um, and tempo for any of these given initiatives. We will talk about decision-making protocols that we like for each group. Um, 
in the metagroup working space, I'm, you know, conceiving and probably proposing some decision-making processes, but this is definitely, uh, this is definitely oriented towards a pretty radically egalitarian. I'm definitely spending a lot of time thinking about power dynamics and how to legitimately distribute power throughout the group. Once people are involved, right? It's, uh, you know, it's, it's elitist in the sense that we're definitely not trying to involve everybody. <laughs> but, but the, the notion is that we're trying to be very selective about who we integrate into the work because we think that we can, you know, uh, cohere a group of people who have a sufficiently shared vision and sufficiently compatible temperament that we can really not have to play a bunch of stupid power games. Um, and so, you know, for instance, uh, my collaborator, Tanner Millen, who has really helped me so much in getting this whole thing off the ground, um, you know, I'm, I'm making sure he's going to be kind of the the bottom liner of the uh, metanoia podcast and i'm making sure that he just kind of has the ability to do all the uploads make all the editorial final editorial decisions you know stuff like that uh, i will emphatically not be the dictator of any of any of these projects other than fight like an animal um but we will also emphatically not have the kinds of you know, inane death spiral conversations that so frequently characterize political organizing. We just won't. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how one would engage with this work at this point. I encourage, I'm going I'm to go back to, because I am finally doing such a good job of going through all my old emails. I stopped saying I encourage correspondence of all varieties a while ago because I just felt too ashamed of all the emails I hadn't gotten back to. I still have been corresponding with a lot of people. It just really kind of depends on whether the initial email came in when I was too sick to respond or not. Uh, but um, I'm going to go back to saying that I encourage correspondence of all varieties. And I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, write to me at any point if you have any thoughts about this project at all, or if you want to indicate your interest in participating in any particular one or all of these efforts or however, you know, whatever the case might be. And um, I will fairly shortly to whoever does get in touch at this stage of the process, get back to you with, let's call it a, an application just for kicks, um, with an application, and um, thereafter give you a way to access our online workspace. And then in the case of each of these initiatives, there will be some more formal substantive announcement where a great deal more detail about the nature of the project will be revealed, as well as some kind of definitive testament to the kind of work we're doing, granting that in some cases there will be a significant diversity of work, but there'll be a testament to at least one of the kinds of things we'll be doing, and another perhaps more formal call, I guess, in some sense, for participation, you know, at, at which point you could email then. Oh, right. I should mention real quickly that I certainly am in the very short term, otherwise I'm just going to end up doing it myself, uh, looking for somebody to help me build a website, uh, you know, but if worse comes to worse, there's going to be a website that looks like I made it pretty soon. I guess a thing that I would uh, mention before I go is that I, I do want to say, I, I, I should be explicit about this, that I really think there's 
interesting things we can do without a budget um, that are totally worth pursuing and that I, you know, am going to give all my time to like I already am and, you know, would totally encourage other people to dedicate their time to as well. But there really is only so much we can do without money. And I am trying to get money. And so, you know, I, I will say that this this is a project that's conceived with the understanding that one of the reasons that the world is the way that it is, is that the only think tanks out there are right wing and liberal, right? And that this kind of work that we're talking about uh, just really doesn't get funded. It, it just really doesn't. The Like, you know, it kind of really is the case that the landscape of like podcasts and stuff like that has changed that to some extent. But I think that there's a real need for, yeah, like a kind of more rigorous research approach um, than we would typically associate with podcasts and things like that. That still just really, you know, doesn't, that, that performs the role of think tanks that, you know, we just don't see funded very often. And so I am, you know, encouraging people to participate who are excited about this work and who find the way that Fight Like an Animal uh, conceives of the global crisis that we are in and, you know, the kinds of information that I, you know, like the sorts of variables that I identify as salient, you know, who, who I want to encourage people who find that compelling to engage with this project. But, you know, in particular, people who feel like they need to find a way to do some kind of work like this that allows them to survive, you know, like should get in touch and try to help me make this as I don't want to do that exploitative thing that happens so often with nonprofits that's like, yeah, do a bunch of work for free and then someday maybe you'll get paid or something. You know, I, I just really have to acknowledge I don't know that we'll get funding, but I have, you know, reasonable strategies for at least it's, it's worth trying. And, um, yeah, I um, I want to hopefully develop some physical infrastructure out here around Portland and in the surrounding area where, you know, people could conceivably come be for a while, indefinitely, forever, and work on this stuff with me. I would mention offhand that right now I'm in a two-bedroom apartment alone and I know that I'm probably going to receive some visits from collaborators in you know that there's some tentative plans to that effect already but it's certainly the case that um, I would invite the possibility of people who want to put a significant time into doing this work to uh, yeah to come actually just hang out with me here and likewise I'm really trying to um and when I say trying to, you know, I'm actually having at least somewhat tangible conversations, uh, you know, with people who actually have some access to resources about creating, you know, some kind of network of like a couple spots in the city and a couple spots in the country, something to that effect. And so, yeah, it'd be, be really nice uh, to have this project be in terms of the personal lives of the people who toil day after day on it be an antidote to the you know 
meaningless fragmentation and atomization and blah, blah, blah of, you know, the techno dystopian society that we inhabit. Um, so yeah, I, I really do conceive of this, um, fundamentally as an attempt at ethnogenesis. It sounds more fun to be together and try to survive than it does to be alone and wait to die, right? Then one night as we surrounded it and worshipped, the god who hung from this tree spoke and said, Fire, 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 fire.